Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. My name is Matt Salis, and I'm joined, as always, by my wife, Sherry Salis. Hi, Sherry. Good morning. Good Hi. to see you. How you doing? Fine. How are you? Good. I'm super excited. The guest that is on with us today, she'll be on in, in a little bit. We don't have her on right now. She is going to really paint a, a vivid picture of how badly alcohol abuse and alcohol use, frankly, can go. And it's a story that she's going to tell that we should all be able to relate to because I think any, anyone who has had alcohol or alcoholism as a serious part of their life has had those moments where they say, whew, uh, we got out of that one. That, that didn't go as badly as it could have or you know, has said a little prayer of thanks that the worst didn't happen because it certainly could have. And, you know, it's right there in front of us, but we ignore it. We pretend we don't see how close we are to tragedy when we drink and we drink consistently. And so we're going to we're going to have Cheryl on in a minute here and and hear her story. But it, it makes me think about the birth of our third child, Joey, who was born right around this time what, 14 years ago now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everything went went well, it went fine, but it so easily could have not gone well and gone fine. So do you remember that night? He was born, what time was he born? 12.45 a.m. On the 27th of December. Mm-hmm. So just after midnight. Yeah. On the 26th. Yeah. And on the 26th, I had been drinking like I drank every night, right? Yeah, yeah. Your family was in, some of your family was in town, so of course it was a much more celebrated dinner with wine and, yeah, so then you, you know, went to bed at a decent time and I started feeling contractions and I didn't bother you because I didn't know what was going to happen and then by the time I realized what was going on and talked to my doctor and trying to rouse you, you were pretty, um flustered, didn't know what to do, so I was very thankful that your parents were here so then they could watch the other kids, but also kind of help move the car out of the driveway and get us going. And So I had that kind of... Groggy. Yeah. And you, it was a little scary and unreliable, but... Um, and yeah. Joey came fast, too. Yeah. Our, our first child took about three months to be born, and our second one was, I don't know... Nick was like eight hours or something of labor, but Joey was like six minutes of labor, right? Yeah. And I will say with the pregnancies, all of those middle of the night sort of, or, you know, later in the evening going to the hospital drives always put me in a panic because I knew that you drank oh, I, all enough there, at that there point. There was alcohol in my system with all four of the births yeah, of all so four of the children. I was always I worried, but about. I think that's why I just didn't like wake you right away because I didn't know if it was really gonna if I was real labor or not so but I so, waited so long <laughs> so then once you did wake me you had to get through the grogginess of explaining where I was and what was going on basically yeah and then we jumped in the car and it was in a blizzard like a legit blizzard not you know people say oh it was snowing it was a blizzard but no it was really a blizzard and we drove to the hospital I drove <laughs> and yeah. I mean and was running stoplights because you know, we didn't know exactly what was going on, but we knew it was it was coming. He mm-hmm. was coming, right? Yeah. How? I mean, that could have gone so badly in so many different yeah, ways. Yeah, I think about like, gosh, there could have been a wreck, and you know, that's one of my biggest fears was thinking, gosh, what if we had wrecked on the way to the hospital? Or what if you hadn't been able to stir me? Because there were certainly times where I was passed out enough that I was unwakeable. Yeah. Or what if it hadn't been Christmas and my parents hadn't been here to watch the kids? We couldn't have just left. I mean, the kids were little. We couldn't have just left the other kids here. Yeah. So much responsibility on your shoulders and so much drunk and irresponsibility for me. But we made it. Mm -hmm. And Joey's happy and healthy and a wonderful blessing. But again, this is just another time where... As parents, as survivors of an alcoholic marriage, we say, whew, that could have gone worse. You know, if, if you're inclined to do so, you say, thank you, God, for getting us through that. But getting us through something that was self-inflicted that I put us in unnecessarily, a danger that I put us in unnecessarily. Yeah. And it's really sad and can so easily be tragic. And so our guest today, her name is Cheryl Kushler. We're going to introduce you to her in just a second. 
She's got a harrowing story. Hers also, due to sobriety, ended much better than it could have, but hers is much more close to tragedy and much more of a stark realization of how we live when we just deal with alcoholism like it's an everyday thing and it's okay. It's not okay. And it, and it can it can be deadly. So we hope that you'll stay with us. Once we've talked to Cheryl, Sherry and I are going to come back and we're going to explain what we're trying to do for Cheryl. We're trying to help her out. She's in a in a tough situation and we hope that the Untoxicated Podcast listening audience will be there and, and we can find a way to support someone that's in recovery in a really tangible way, especially here during the holiday season. So here is the story of Cheryl Kushler. Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. Sherry, uh, I'm excited. We've got a, a guest again this week. Um, Sherry, say hello to Cheryl Kushler. Cheryl, yes. howdy. Hello, Cheryl. Good morning. It's great to have you. Thanks for joining us. The, the circumstances of you being on with us um, are stark and important and scary. And I, I want to tease it just a little bit by saying that sobriety quite literally saved your life. And I don't mean that in the long-term way that we often talk about it. Like I was, I was headed toward a, an early demise and sobriety helped me, you know, recover from that. It, it's very much more uh, drastic what happened with you. And we're going to get into that. Um, but before we do, I want to talk a little bit about your story, your previous story. And in the way of an introduction, Cheryl, I just want our listeners to know that you and I have been in touch with each other for, I, I didn't look it up, but I think it's about a year and a half, two years now. It, yeah, right after I stopped my, my last relapse when I got sober. Okay. I don't know how you came across my emails or newsfeed, but there you were and you were right there just screaming in my ear with your experiences and and your successes and you've been one of my support systems walking through this oh that's so great to hear and and you know the feeling about support is mutual because you're my favorite kind of reader because you you've been in contact we've had phone conversations a little bit but we've done a lot of emailing when you read something that's particularly you know, stands out to you or makes you think of something from your life, you email me about it and we kind of go back and forth. And, you know, I say all the time that connection is the key to this thing and that I, I like to be in contact with readers. And certainly there are readers that are in contact and it's wonderful, but there's so many more that just kind of sit back quietly. Um, but I love that you reach out and you respond when, when something, you know, when something strikes you. So it's, it's a great relationship. I really, that allows me to you know, it's not just a one-way street. I think of you as a friend. I really do. So I, do too. I appreciate your contact over the years and the relationship we've built. I do too. So let's go back a little ways if we can. Um, tell us a little bit about, so how long have you been sober? Um, I think it was November 10th or 18th or somewhere in there of 2018. Okay. Or 20, or 20 it's been two years. I know that. Yeah. I, I love that you're not super specific. I'm not a day counter myself. I yeah, I can't do that. I know it, people who can tell you down to the minute. <laughs> Seriously, right. down to the second, some of them. Uh, I can't do, I can't live my life that way. So it, it's more of a, like, I'm determined this is what I'm going to do and I don't need to so, so less of a one day at a time and more of a, this is a life decision I've made. Is that, I don't want to put words in your mouth. It's both. It's both. It's definitely moment to moment, literally, which is a healthy thing in any circumstance. Um, but it's also just a lifestyle. You know, I'm 65. I value my health. I don't have medications or issues. I want to keep it that way. And I was starting to see things happening physically that were really scary. So that was, that was a big issue for me. And then, you know, you toss in the legal ramifications and all the things that you swear will never, ever happen to you. And I don't know, it, it just, uh, I want to live life. I, I don't want to be a prisoner to anything. Well, 
I think the sobriety is serving you well physically. Obviously, I don't know all of your medical details, but just from this Zoom call, I would have put you in your somewhere in your 40s. So, um, oh, I love you, Matt. Having well, I'm serious too. Having a good effect. Mm -hmm. Can you take us back? Take us back to like why the decision to become sober, um, and what was the you you said you know it's been a couple of years since your last relapse. What was the process of sobriety for for you? Did it take a little while? I lost track of how many times I relapsed, um, and like you know they say, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Right. I, I felt like I was disgracing people that cared about me and hurting them and they just weren't understanding. And I know there's still fear there um, with my kids as far as what I'm dealing with and how am I going to cope with it? And, you know, is this going to be the, the trigger that, you know, puts me back again? And um, sure, it was just really a matter. I don't even, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. It just happened. And I hate to be airy fairy like that, but there was no magic pill. There was no magic book. There was nothing except an internal flame that said enough already. Do you wanna watch your grandkids grow up? Do you wanna watch them do things you've already missed out on because you were too drunk to participate healthily in them, in those things? And so I, I couldn't tell you except that I know no one can do it for you it didn't work changing for my kids. It didn't work changing for any kind of a relationship. It just had to be something in me. That's that's such an important message. Can't tell you how many people we meet, especially the more we deal in relationships, the number of people we meet that are quitting because their significant other has demanded it or given them an ultimatum. And oh, I mean, I literally get chills in my body when somebody says that to me because I think, oh, this isn't going to work. You know, you've got to find the will somehow to quit for yourself, or you have to be in enough pain yourself, or this isn't going to work. Right. So that and there was all, yeah, you know, there's the hiding and the the double dealing and the the dishonesty and all those things are completely against who I have always been as a person but they worked in my addiction to keep me on the good side of the people I cared about. Mm. It was just living a lie. Yeah. Functioning yeah. while drunk. You mentioned that your kids are worried. Again, we're gonna get into the, the big event that just took place in your life, but your, your drinking has had an impact on the kids and they're uh, presumably uh, happier now that you're sober. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, I don't know that there's any parade or bells or whistles, but I know that <laughs> they kind of feel like they have mom back, I think. Mm. Oddly, though, um, I'm not the same person I was when I was raising my kids. Um, it's not like I came back to anything. I for the first time in my life have been living alone for the last 11 years. I've never experienced that. The first five were rough and that's probably a lot of why I was drinking was to fill that big empty gap, that big dark hole there where, you know, my life had been full of kids and husband and, and then there was nothing, you know? Yeah. And it's actually been really healthy for me to have nothingness in my life to clear out everything, all the energies, all the negativity, all the doubts, all of it. And then from nothingness, recognize the person that I am now. And so it's kind of like reintroducing yourself to the people that you've been living drunk around for the last decade, you know? And I think they kind of they must sometimes wonder, who are you? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know. But I know um, I've been very vulnerable around the holidays. And so there's always this tightening up of everyone like, oh, God, here come the holidays. Mom's going to relapse. And I have, you know, true to that, I have often. So when the holidays were coming, my daughter got nervous. My oldest daughter 
and then the house fire. And I know it's, it's weighing on her, but I'm not going to stay sober for her. That's not who I'm sober for. I'm staying sober for me. That's so wonderful. And the, the fact that, you know, Sherry and I both struggle with the word recovery because it implies that you've gone somewhere and then you're coming back to where you started from. I love how you talk about how you're not the same person you were and, you know, what you've gone to in recovery. And, you know, sometimes I use the word enlightenment. Sometimes I get criticized for sounding fluffy when I use that word. Yeah. You've gone to to a place that's new and fresh and better. And it's not going back to the place you were. That's so meaningful and inspiring to hear you say that. Yeah. Well, I, I get lost in thoughts about this and, and I was listening to some Eckhart Tolle last night and man, you know, there's been so much divine intervention and, and guardian. And I, I can't even tell you the presence I felt in all this stuff, but I was listening to Eckhart Tolle last night and, and man, talk about writing to where I was at. He said that it's only when we get pushed out of our comfort zone, that real growth and enlightenment and evolution takes place and i and he talked about it on a global scale how we're all pushed out of our comfort zones right now all of us and the collective suffering is huge but it also creates an opportunity for collective healing and i hang on to those kinds of thoughts all the time i'm i'm in a home right now with my daughter and her husband And it's a beautiful, beautiful home that they've worked really hard to get to. And at Christmas, I have to leave here tomorrow morning because we have um, a young man coming in from, he's here from San Diego. He goes to school there. His mother just died before Thanksgiving. He is putting himself through school. He's lived an unbelievable life and has continued to push forward despite it. My granddaughter will be coming home for Christmas. She just lost a very dear friend in a car accident to a drunk driver Uh. um, about four blocks from my house about five days ago. My son-in-law's grandmother is receiving hospice care right now. There's, There's a lot of pain, but I don't feel that here. What I feel is a lot of love and a lot of support. And I just want healing to happen for all the people that are under this roof right now you know all of us need it well i have to tell you this might sound fluffy too but you don't just feel that love you exude it you really Mm -hmm. um you have a calm you know just a presence Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i know that you were saying that you were alone for 11 years and so the kids had moved out and what about your relationship with their father was that he died okay and that happened around the time that you they you were becoming an empty nester or yeah oh wow yeah. Uh-huh. actually it happened a few years after that we had had a couple of really good years out of a 37 year relationship from hell um i i have walked in your shoes sherry um for decades and I would have to say that the last, there, there was still issues with substances, but I would have to say that the last 10 of our 37 years were real, um, not veiled by cocaine or Jack Daniels or any of those kinds of things. So yeah, and then um, he died in 2011. So I've been, this will be, I'm going on 11 years now that I've had to deal with the world all by myself and it's not so bad. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, you, you talked about a lot of the things going on in your family, the, the challenges that the world has dealt you recently. Let's, let's go ahead and, and let's talk about what happened um, at the beginning of December. Um, it's a, it's a fascinating story. I'll have questions as we go along, but if you can kind of tell us what happened with the house fire. Well, I, I was having my typical Saturday, a beautiful Saturday. I 
consider myself the steward of this little tiny parcel of land that the universe has given me to care for on this planet. I really do. I treat my home and the little piece of land that it sits on with such reverence and gratitude, total gratitude. My kids had come over that morning and said, God, mom, the house is so cozy. My neighbors would stop by and say, your house just feels happy. And I have just felt so blessed with this little 827 square foot attached wow. senior home. It's just my pride and joy. And I, I've taken the best care of it as I could. My typical Saturday would have been probably wine on ice starting about nine or 10 in the morning on through the day, probably would have napped somewhere in there because I would have reached my quota and then I would have had to wake up and refill. Sure. Um, by eight or nine o'clock, I would have been blacked out cold. I wouldn't hurt anything until three or four in the morning when I woke up when the alcohol wore off. Mm -hmm. I had taken a nice hot bath after a beautiful day of gardening and yard work and watching my chickens and playing with my cats and a nice hot bath. So Cheryl, just to clarify, just to clarify, when you said you just described your typical, mm -hmm. I think everyone's still with us, but that was a couple of years ago. That's not the typical now. No, not now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, loved I loved Saturdays because of the opportunity they had for drinking. You could drink all day. You didn't yeah. have to be anywhere but home. You could start early and go way into the night. Nobody would even know. You're in your house. Right. Gotcha. Okay, but on this particular Saturday, a day of gardening, you're, yeah, you're taking a bath. I'm Just a beautiful day. Sorry. Another beautiful day. The Christmas music is playing. The house is warm and decorated. The candles are, are lit. It, I'm so blessed. So blessed. Get in bed. I get really, really sleepy. I know I'm going to do my drift off with the, the CNN going and, and I'll wake up and turn it off eventually. But I was there, I was right ready to nod off. I had gotten a cat delivered to me whose owner died uh, about a month before this. Cutest little cat, about three years old, just like a little three-year-old boy. He had a habit of, of playing with the water bowl. He would flip it and flip it until he spilled it and the whole kitchen floor would be flooded with water. So I hear this ka-think, 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 and I'm thinking, oh no, not tonight. Could think, could think, could think. And I'm just so tired. I don't want to move. You know how when you're so tired, you just want to lay there and just go away. Just let me go. Yeah. So tired. And I thought, oh, all right. Just And then I heard this. And I thought, what the hell is that? Like, what, what can he be doing? And I heard it again, this. And I, I got up concerned, like, what in the world? I opened my bedroom door. And the smoke, I had to bend down to see across the room, which was really hard because the smoke was so black and thick and it was already down below. Like it was eye level. Oh my God. I could see orange flames reflected in my picture window across the room. My two cats took off. Um, I panicked. I know now what I should have done, but that's one of the things that keeps me in the present moment because it'll drive you crazy when you realize a bag of flour would have saved you thousands and thousands of dollars. Fortunately, and this is where all these guardians come in, I had put my phone on a little kitchen counter next to my front door so that I could plug it in and charge it. So I didn't have to look for it. I had miraculously put my glasses there too, which I'm always looking for. <laughs> Got my phone. I was shaking so bad I couldn't call 911. I just got through to 911 when my alarm went off. My alarm is wired into ADT in the city that I live in. Okay. It's supposed to provide me with an instant response phone calls. Once I called 911, ADT started calling, but I was so nervous and so shaky, I kept hitting disconnect. Meanwhile, this fire is burning in my, my hutch, my bookcase, and I was just panicked. Had I been drunk, oh. I can't even imagine so many. I mean, I either would have been passed out and died of smoke inhalation. The house, I was told these houses, and I've seen them do it, go up in a matter of minutes. They're like little tinder boxes, match yeah. boxes. 
Um, so if the smoke inhalation hadn't gotten me, I'm sure that the flames probably would have made me crispy. Oh, yeah. Um, well, well, what started it, Cheryl? Did you get to the bottom of it? A tea light. Mm. A tea light in a candle holder that I have been lighting the last three years religiously through the holidays. It's a birch log. Okay. It looks like a little birch. Been using it for years. My habit has been, I'm sad to say, and my firefighting friends would beat me up for it as I leave these little tea lights on and I go to bed. I check them. I put, you know, I always would like feel around, make sure everything's kind, you know, it's not hot. I'm good. Nothing to fall on them. Somehow something happened this time. When the first people came and they, they said they put the fire out, I looked at my clock and it was 11, 11. Okay. I definitely feel like there was someone in my airy fairy thinking that was making me aware of the dangerous situation that I was in, even though the firefighters said, oh, it's blah, blah, parts per billion. That's a safe range. You're good to go. You safe to occupy. No heat. Look at the gun. No, you're good. My daughter and I are mopping up water because when they didn't get there in time, I grabbed the garden hose and I'm shooting it through my front door and I had got the flame down and these guys showed up and they're like, well, where's the fire? And I pointed and about that time the flames came back. But wow. um, anyway, I don't know. It, the series of miracles that happen, it, the smoke got so bad that they told me it would dissipate, but I couldn't breathe and I was starting to feel sick and dizzy. So I texted my oldest daughter and I said, I, I just, I'm terrified to leave, but I'm terrified to stay. Sure. And she, said, she said, just come over, mom. So I came over at one in the morning, crawled into bed, soaking wet, frozen, exhausted. I woke up in a panic at five, went downstairs. I'd slept in my clothes, grabbed a coffee, grabbed my phone, told my son-in-law, I'm going to go over to the house. Well, I looked at my phone, I had 7%. I thought, okay, I'll plug it in when I get home. Get home, smoke is billowing out of the roof. Oh, I'm thinking it's still smoke from the night before. I opened the front door and there's flames in my attic. And I looked at my phone with a 7% and I called 911 and I gave them my address and my phone died. Wow. Now it's, five, it's 5.30 in the morning. There's no one awake in a 55 plus neighborhood. But sure. one of my neighbors I knew was, so I ran over, shoved in my phone, said, plug it in, call, you know, my daughter at this number um, and come grab a hose. And he did. We stood there, he at the front of the house, me at the back with the garden hoses barely working, um, trying to keep the house from going up in total flames. And finally they got there and you saw the aftermath, but do you not see the, the potential outcomes of this? How, how blessed I am to even be here talking to you. I really am. Um, we are blessed to, to have your, your presence and, and you sharing the story with us. One of the things that strikes me, um, people talk about drinking alcohol to relax or to unwind. Or stress. Absolutely. You know, I've, I've gone from the point where when I first quit drinking, I was jealous of people who still could drink. And <laughs> yes. I I've got this deformity. I've got this allergy, some people call it. So yeah. I can't do this thing that I really wish I could and that so many other people can. Right. But I've moved way past that to the point where I look at alcohol as the poison and the toxifier that it is. Right. Even that, even that buzz that we used to love because it helped us de-stress, Right. That's just the brain not functioning quite properly. Yeah. And one of the things that strikes me about your story is that, you know, at 5.30 in the morning, you woke up and you just, you had to check. And let's say, let's say you didn't have a severe alcohol problem and you had just had uh, two or three glasses of wine after the, the initial incident. Oh, yeah. An alcohol abuse problem. You, you wouldn't have woken up at 5.30. Your house would have burned to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. So that anxiety that we feel, not the anxiety that's caused by alcohol, but that anxiety we feel because something's not quite right, because the universe is talking to us, because God's tapping us on the shoulder, however you want to say that, 
that's there for a reason. And it's, it's not only healthy, it's life-saving. Right. And when you drink, you disconnect from that. When you drink, you lose that connection to a higher power. Yeah. I mean, even if you don't, I, I don't like using words like God and Jesus and, and all that stuff, but I know in my gut that my energy is part of a greater energy and it works in my favor. It's not working against me. It's working for me, depending on my attitude, my perspective, and my overall um, ability to think clearly and to listen. I can't listen when I'm drunk. I just want to be loud and I want you to hear me. I can't listen to the little voices, the real voices. I am the authority. I know you don't understand. This has been my life. I deserve this. No, I, I don't deserve those things. You know, having been, I'll tell you guys, what is the most difficult part of me is not my burned out house. It's not the loss of books or all the things that I have to have trashed because now they're contaminated. I think the hardest part of this whole experience for me is needing people because I've always prided myself on needing no one and nothing from anybody ever. And I think that part of that comes from being a child of alcoholism, a child of alcoholics and realizing that no one is there for you if you have any Thing that you need or want, you're going to have to figure out how to do it on your own. And I have taken that attitude into my adulthood and through all kinds of things, have refused to ask anybody for help ever. And now I have to. And the hardest thing in this whole experience for me is the vulnerability. You know, alcohol makes you invulnerable to everything you think. I don't have that crutch. And I have to just sit with this and deal with it one piece at a time. I'm not moving forward into the future. My, my kids are, I, they don't get it from me. They're, they're very, they project into the future what's not going to work. And so I'm getting the, oh, it's going to be 20,000 for this and, and rewiring. Oh my God, that'll never happen. And, uh, and all I can tell them is if I project into the future, it makes me crazy with worry. If I think about the past and what I coulda, woulda, shoulda, it depresses me. All I can do is stay right here, right now. What I need to do today is this, whether it's clean out the house, talk to an attorney, call the Salvation Army, um, check in with work, whatever I have to do today and now, I cannot be anywhere but right here. Well, listen, I know, I know you said that it's hard to ask for help, but I, I hope you can try to think of that in a different context. And that is, especially with your kids, these are people that you've nurtured and you've, you know, you've been so much for. I grew them. <laughs> they're getting the chance to return the favor. They're getting, I mean, I know it's hard for you, but think of what a blessing this is for them to, to be able to help help you out um, because you're clearly I mean you're clearly such a strong independent person I couldn't imagine short of anything disastrous like this happening you ever really needing help so it's it's great that uh, it's a real blessing for them and the bond between you that you're able to to uh, ask for ask for help right now I know that's hard for you because you and I are a lot alike I have a huge problem asking for help but um, there's a way in which it's a real blessing when you're a drinker you don't ask people for help. You, you isolate no matter what. You just, you don't reach out. It's part of the denial. It is part of the denial. Yeah. You know, something you said though, when, you, when we talk about this awareness and not being toxified, not being drunk, when Sherry, when, when one of our kids got the croup many years ago, she had to rush him to the hospital in the middle of the night, you know, 2 a.m. He's barking like a dog. It's a really scary sound. And one of the things that was hard for you was you knew I had been drinking that night and you knew you had to leave our daughter with me 
-hmm. And I was basically, you know, I think I woke up for a minute when you, when you were leaving for the hospital, but otherwise I was, I was pretty much passed out. Yeah. Yeah. And it was terrifying to you, the thought of leaving me. And Sherry's told that story lots of times. And I've always been like, yeah, you know, yeah, I wouldn't have been the best father if, if I was needed, but you know, it's the middle of the night, what can happen? Well, Cheryl, this is what can happen. And I mean, how many people, you know, drink to the, the state of blackout and then pass out and think, ah, you know, everything's fine. Everyone, the doors are locked. Everyone's inside. Everything's going to be fine. But stuff yeah. like this does, can and does happen. And, you know, your, your story is just a, a stark reminder of, I mean, th- this would have been a tragic death, no question, had you, had you had your normal Saturday that you described from a few years ago. Right. Yeah. So yeah, the, the, uh, there's a variety of a variety of really, really unhappy endings. I mean, I, I can't even I don't even want to think about it all. I, I all I know is that I've come out the other side of this feeling incredibly grateful. And uh, I, you know, I'm just kind of one of those persons that never walks away. I, I don't give up. I keep pushing and pushing and, and uh, I don't know. So, so Cheryl, are the cats okay? <laughs> you know, I've been wanting that. I know Cheryl wants to yes. know. Well, he may, he may doesn't like harnesses and leashes. I'm trying to get her. This is he may. She came to me, one of my neighbors died and this was her cat. I don't know if you can wow. see it. This is he may. She's having lizard and tree withdrawal. <laughs> um, she's really not happy living in a bedroom with me, and she doesn't like harnesses, but we're working on it. Um, the other cat I also inherited from someone that had passed. He's the little three-year-old crazy boy. I have signs up. I have him online. I've been to the shelter and filled out a form. Um, I can't find him, but I hear there are sightings. So... I'm hoping I can find him and my youngest daughter's willing to adopt him with her three boys, which would be perfect because his owner was a guy. Um, The chickens are happily adjusted with my daughter's chickens. Um, They still come running in the morning when I say, good morning, girls. They know my voice. (laughs) uh, You know, I lost stuff. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, people would think I'm crazy, but there's a balance of um, uncertainty, but there's also a balance of hope there because I know I've lived long enough that I know from experience that oftentimes when things like this have happened to me, there's blessings everywhere in it. You know, good things come from it. The pendulum swings both ways. So I know no matter what, I'm going to be okay. Now, if I was drunk, I'd be sobbing and pissed off and god dang firefighters don't know incompetency and negligence i you know i'd be resisting and resisting and suffering and i'm just splayed open to okay what do you want how do i do this where do i go show me how to move forward and that's all i can do right now well we certainly don't have all those answers but i can tell you you have a powerful story and you're a good spokesperson for your story. And, and I hope that you tell it. And I hope that it has you know, a powerful meaning to people who hear it. So we're so thankful that you came on and agreed to talk with us about it today. Grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, you, you mentioned in your email that, that there was, um, I can't remember how you described it, paperwork issues or, or something with the insurance. I just want to, because we're going to, um, we want to, help we want to try to help raise funds and i want our listeners to understand that there was a problem with the insurance and you're not covered right so this is this is out of pocket correct yes it is um and again miracles are coming my way i i don't do social media um so i don't have a lot of community out there i don't have a whole lot of friends i wouldn't ask them for anything anyway um but um, the house was my in-laws, my mother-in-law. Nicest thing she ever said to me, Sherry, was, I don't know why I've hated you all these years. You're such a kind person. <laughs> nice, nicest thing she ever said to me <laughs> right, before, right before she passed. 
Anyway, she left the home to my husband who never did anything. Thank you. Never did anything yeah. with the title. So now without a title, I've never been able to get homeowners. I've never been able to get renters. I've never even been able to get a home warranty. So I was taking steps, you know, in, in my drunkenness, I racked up the debt that we all rack up with uh, DUI, um, IRS, you know, the typical, I mean, your story is my story, is everybody's story. I had the debt. Um, when I got sober this time, I started digging through it. I had just gotten to a place with the IRS where we're, we're good. We're moving forward. I know what's happening. Let's do the title now. Too yeah. late. <laughs> Too late. So I did talk to an attorney this week. He is hopeful. He said it takes time. I said, I have it. Um, he said it takes money. And I said, I'll work on it. And so after the holidays, um, he's going to help me get started. It has to be a double probate because it was mother to son, husband to wife. It'll sure. take time. But the potential for it to happen now is there. It's, it's getting closer. And you shared some pictures, which I very much appreciate of the before and the after. And you do. Crazy. Isn't it crazy? House for sure. Unbelievable. But the damage in the attic, some of it's very much structural. You've got support beams that are not connected anymore because of the fire. And that's why the house is non-occupiable. That's probably not really a word, but you know no, what I mean? Um, and so do you have, do you have, have you gotten any kind of estimate on what, what you're looking at to repair the damage or are you yeah, just, I, I should be writing down the miracles. I should be keeping track because I, I sent out a text message to the instructional aides that I work with at my high school. I thought it was just going out to the instructional aides, but apparently it went out to the whole school, which wasn't my intention, but you know, divine intervention again. Um, the construction teacher contacted me. I don't know him. Says for generations, his family has been part of the Carpenters Union. One of the things they do is help people with disasters. They recently rehabbed a veterans hall that had been vandalized and completely not only refurbished it, but upgraded it for free. He wants to meet with me at the house today. Now, I don't know, they probably, my wiring fried, so yeah. I have to rewire. Um, I don't know that they have anyone to do that, but he's very involved with the Carpenters Union and this volunteer group. And he wants to come see my house. He wants to see the asbestos report. He's been doing this for decades. He said, I may be able to cut corners, do costs. I work with fire marshals, code and you know, city inspectors. Where did that come from? Yeah. Can you even hire somebody like that to come and do things like that for? I don't know that it will, it will actually come to fruition, but just the fact that this man reached out to a total stranger, knows nothing about me. I told him because he said, you're a teacher, we got to support our teachers. We, you know, and that's what we believe in in the union. And, and I told him, I said, Mr. Scott, I'm not a teacher. I have been, but I let that go. I'm an aide. He says, no, honey, you're a teacher. Yeah. Like, what kind of, you know, that's so respectful and so kind of him. So I don't know. We'll see where that goes. I mean, I am just, I'm just open. I'm just open. And I, I have hope. I have one of my favorite cartoons, you guys, I'm old school. So I read the funnies. Mm -hmm. One of my favorites is Pearls Before Swine. <laughs> and about a month ago, kind of sums up who I am. I'll have to see if I can send you a picture of it. You'd love it. Yeah. About a month ago, I cut out a cartoon and it shows this little mouse guy and he's carrying a box and it says hope on it. And he's walking with the box and he walks into a branch and, you know, he falls and the box has a dent. And then he's walking, walking, walking with this big box and he doesn't see and he falls off a cliff. Now the box is really bent, right? But he keeps walking, he keeps going. Something else happens. And by the time it gets to the last box, he's in this room and this other guy walks in and I don't know what the, the tagline was, but here's this little character and he's got this box that, that says hope. And it's bashed and banged and battered and crunched. And he's got duct tape. And 
and he's just putting it together like you know gotta keep going that is like the epitome of my life (laughs) I'm gonna get that cartoon off of my fridge and I'm gonna see if I can send it to you because I think you would appreciate it we would very much appreciate it Cheryl Kushler, your resilience, your duct taped hope is amazing. <laughs> duct taped hope. Your, <laughs> your story is powerful and your sobriety <laughs> is quite literally life saving. And we just love that. We love you for coming on and sharing your story. Thanks for taking the time today. Oh, thank you so much for what you do, both of you. Thank you. Cheryl's got quite a story, doesn't she, Sherry? She does. It's a pretty impressive story, though, with her behavior and her gratitude and her gratefulness that she shares with us and how it really comes through. She's such an engaging person. And I'm sure, I'm sure you're right that that gratefulness and gratitude that comes through, I'm sure when she was drinking, it didn't. I'm sure she was grumpy and angry. And especially with something like that happening, if she had survived it, which honestly, yeah. I think it's about a 10% chance, yeah, I mean, she, more 90% chance she would have died. She kind of talked about how she knew that she would be, you know, yelling and and upset and if she had been drinking during this but you're right if she would have made it through especially the way since it just sparked back up and hadn't gone away you know it's amazing what two years of sobriety can do for somebody i mean she's just i i'll use that word again just so enlightened just such a delight to spend some time with and so we want to help her out we we are calling on the intoxicated podcast audience to help if you can we, we want to collect money for her. We, we are blessed that we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so we can do this, you know, with, um, it can be a tax-free donation on, on your part, our, our beloved listeners. In the show notes will be a link to our website where you can, you can make the donation. Um, it, it will be, if, if you don't have access to the show notes and you're just listening, it will be thestigma.org slash slash Cheryl. Thestigma.org slash Cheryl. That's the page where you can donate. All of your donations will be fully tax deductible. I've seen the pictures. I haven't shown you the pictures yet, Sherry, but it's structural. There's There are beams in the ceiling that are burned like one you know the middle is burned away not just charred like it's half gone gone. wow so i'm not in construction but it's some numbers of tens of thousands of dollars yeah even for as she described a really small home um it's probably fifty thousand dollars worth of damage if i had to guess so and and as she said she doesn't have insurance so let's see what we can do to help her out well i was just gonna say like when she was describing about the title issues and the insurance and stuff it kind of makes you realize also, if you are a drinker, you're just putting things off. Like she, her husband, who has now passed away, inherited the house from his parents. And there was no thought of getting all this paperwork organized. So therefore, she wasn't able to have insurance. It's not that she was totally negligent. It's just she was working through all this stuff. So, you know, it's just these things that as a drinker, you might, you miss. Yeah. And you don't pay attention to and it's causing harm in your life. Yeah, financial harm. The insurance, lack of insurance, is at no fault of hers. She's a really sweet person. Yeah, who's fought hard to get to where she is, and absolutely, we're just proud to be able to. I don't know. We've never done this before, so we we don't know what's going to happen. But we're hopeful. We know we've got some generous, loving listeners. Uh, We're hopeful to Mm -hmm. to help Cheryl out. So if you are so inclined, we would love to have you contribute, again, thestigma.org slash Cheryl, C-H-E-R-Y-L. We'll just keep it simple. If you go to that page, all, any donation that you make, the way it'll come through, we'll be able to see that it's specifically for her. We'll set it up that way. We'll make sure she gets every penny. The only thing, you know, the credit card processor takes the money out for credit card processing before we get it. But every penny we get will go directly to Cheryl. We won't take anything out for overhead. So 100% of what you give to us goes to Cheryl. And what we'd like to do is we'd like to send her a check right at the end of the year. So if you can get your donation in before December 20, before December 31st, that would be great so that we can write that initial check. But we're going to keep it open past that time because we know people will listen to this podcast episode. It's an important one. They'll listen to it after December 31st, 2020, and any donation that comes in 
on that particular page on our website, we will always be able to tell that it's for Cheryl and we'll get her the money. So if you're getting caught up on your podcast in January and and you'll hear this and you still want to contribute, I mean, I'm sure the the construction and the bills for the construction are going to go well into first and second quarter of 2021. So we would love to help our good friend Cheryl Kushler out from, from this you know, near tragedy that's yeah. turned into, as she said, I mean, she's so generous, as she said, a blessing in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Really opened her up to be vulnerable and ask for help, whereas when she was an alcoholic, she didn't ask for help. So yeah. this is something that's new to her. And this is just one of those other lessons and yeah. blessings. Though. Absolutely. So if you're one of those people that just has so far said, oh, thank God, you know, at this point when I was passed out, and I was unresponsive, nothing bad happened. Or this other time when my husband was passed out and unresponsive, nothing bad happened. If you're one of those people that has just, by the by the grace of God or the universe, whatever you believe, snuck by on this and, and ha- have not had tragedy strike, I don't know, maybe this that's incentive enough for you to want to throw 25 bucks in Cheryl's direction because... It's all going to add up. Every bit counts. And Mm -hmm. if you're listening to this podcast, you have experienced these moments when uh, you were fortunate to get through. Mm -hmm. So we thank you so much for listening to this important message. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I am Matt Salis. And thanks for being an intoxicated podcast listener.